Welcome and thank you for standing by for today's conference. All participants will be in listen-only mode until the question and answer session. Today's conference is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this time. I'd like to turn the call over to Dr. Mike Schrega, Director of Polar Institute and Global Risk and Resilience Program at the Wilson Center. Sir, you may begin. Thank you very much. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to all of those listening to this Ground Truth Briefing from around the world. Uh, I welcome you on behalf of the Wilson Center to our Ground Truth Briefing. These briefings are global audio briefings developed to highlight important, timely issues of consequence to a broad global community. So we all welcome you. And it's a pleasure to thank our partners within the Wilson Center, the Kennan Institute, the Canada Institute, our Environmental Change and Security Program, WWF, a critical sponsor of ours and supporter of ours, uh, whose support was fundamental to the work that you will now listen to and learn about, and our newest partner, the Russian International Affairs Council in Moscow. More about that partnership in a moment. Today's program asks the question, a stronger international regime for the Arctic Ocean? And it is based on a report by Dr. Andrei Sigorsky and Ambassador David Bolton. But before we get to that, I would like to turn the floor over to uh, our partners at the Russian International Affairs Council, Dr. Ivan Timbaviv, who serves as the Director of Programs at RIAC, the Russian International Affairs Council. Dr. Timbaviv, would you please say a few words? Sure. Uh, thank you very much, Michael, for your kind introduction. Indeed, it's a great pleasure and privilege for us to have Wilson Center as a partner uh, within our uh, project on the Arctic Affairs and international cooperation in the Arctic. Um, I would say a couple of words uh, about REAC, what it is. Uh, well, our organization combines two functions. On the one hand, it's a membership organization, so we unite about uh, 200 uh, individual members who are the leading representatives of the Russian foreign policy community from different spheres, the government, uh, diplomatic corps, uh, military, uh, business, uh, media, NGO, academia, etc. So it's an opportunity for the representatives of different clusters of foreign policy community to, to communicate with each other, to exchange views, uh, and uh, to, 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 to contribute in different ways. On the other hand, we are a think tank, uh, so we, are, we have an in-house expertise and we are relying um, heavily on the uh, expertise of our partners in Russia. Uh, so we're working with academic institutions, with universities, on uh, the burning issues of uh, international agenda, uh, trying to find uh, most constructive ways uh, of uh, uh, dealing with the issues we have now. And uh, the project on the Arctic uh, uh, has, has been uh, on our radar since the uh, very emergence of Russian International Space Council in 2011. So this is one of the oldest projects we have. Uh, and Andrei Zagorsky has been uh, uh, well, 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 the, the, the leader of the project since the very uh, uh, since the very start in 2011, so we did quite a quite a um, quite a huge track record on on the project. We have several reports, a number of conferences, and Ambassador Bolton uh, has visited a, a number of them. It's a privilege for us too. Uh, and I will say a couple of words why this project is important now, especially uh, in terms of partnership with the United States. Uh, in 2014, when the relations uh, between Russia and the U.S. and Russia and the West deteriorated due to the Ukrainian crisis, uh, we were very concerned that uh, this deterioration would harm uh, the spheres where our interests coincide and where we have a good track record, track record of international cooperation with each other. Uh, and so we invested quite a lot uh, uh, in, uh, um, in an attempt to limit the damage uh, of the deterioration of relations in the spheres uh, where we have joint interest. And Arctic is one of the uh, important spheres uh, where uh, our uh, interests coincide. So uh, we are glad that we are, we are still continuing 
we're still doing a, a good job, good, good work with our foreign partners in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, uh, and in other uh, countries and regions concerned. So and we, we hope that this partnership with the Wilson Center would further contribute to this constructive dialogue and uh, would limit the damage and moreover would promote our uh, cooperation in the region uh, in the interest of our nations and countries. Thank you. Ivan, thank you for those opening comments, uh, perfect comments to begin this discussion. We, too, are excited about this partnership. We, too, have a commitment uh, to cooperation, and we, too, see the Arctic as a place uh, that not only needs to maintain its status as a region of cooperation, but also a place that we can explore how to make better. And I think this is the kind of discussion that we will now have about one particular component, the management of the Arctic Ocean, and we look forward to working with you and others on this very issue and perhaps issues related to the Arctic Ocean as well. So as I mentioned before, the question asked, the, the today's ground truth briefing asks the question, a stronger international regime for the Arctic Ocean, based on a report written and analysis made by uh, Ambassador David Bolton, Dave is a senior fellow at the Polar Institute at the Wilson Center. He's the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Oceans and Fisheries. And Dr. Andre Sigorski, Head of Department for Disarmament and Conflict Resolution Studies, Primakov National Research Institute of World Economy International Relations, the Russian Academy of Sciences, and a member of the Russian International Affairs Council. And it's based on their report, Implementing Marine Management in the Arctic. With that, I will turn the virtual floor over to Ambassador David Bolton. Dave, the floor is yours. Thanks very much, uh, Mike, and uh, hello to everyone listening in. Um, it's my pleasure to be here. It's also a great pleasure to work with uh, Andrzej Zagorski in producing uh, this report. Although it has a modest title, Implementing Marine Management in the Arctic, it actually is an effort, our effort, to, prevent, to present a vision for how um, the Arctic, the Arctic Ocean in particular, might be better managed in the future. Um, we're not drawing on a blank slate. Indeed, compared to 25 years ago, there already has been a lot done to create a kind of international architecture for managing human activities in the Arctic. Uh, but it's our sense that this architecture, and I'll describe it in a moment, uh, what exists already, is not enough that something more will be needed. Uh, the Arctic, of course, is melting. Uh, climate change is transforming the region, and the um, nature and volume of human activities in the Arctic Ocean is certain to increase in coming years. And what we have put in place so far uh, is not likely to be adequate to deal with the coming changes. But what does the current situation look like? Well, we have a number of institutions and international agreements already in place. Um, probably the most uh, visible one is a group called the Arctic Council that was created a little more than uh, about 25 years ago now, 1996. It is a high-level forum among the uh, eight states, the territory in the Arctic. Uh, the indigenous peoples of the Arctic also participate in this uh, forum in their own name and right. Uh, the Arctic Council has a number of standing working groups, many of which focus on uh, Arctic Ocean issues. There also are uh, upwards of 40 observers who come to Arctic Council meetings. Some of them are non-Arctic non states. Some are intergovernmental organizations. Some are non-governmental organizations. And through the Arctic Council, there has been a lot done in the last well, 24 years or so uh, to try to address issues of concern about the Arctic. Um, there's been an Arctic Marine Strategic Plan developed that has um, a set of goals. And there have been um, three binding agreements negotiated under the, under the auspices of the Arctic Council, uh, all three of which focus in whole or in part on matters relating to the Arctic Ocean. Outside the Arctic Council, uh, nations concerned have also found other ways to cooperate um, on matters concerning the Arctic Ocean uh, through the International Maritime Organization, which recently adopted a, a new set of rules uh, to govern 
shipping in both polar regions, the so-called polar code, and some other measures uh, related to shipping as well, like a, a traffic separation scheme recently put in place for the Bering Strait region. And nine nations in the European Union also recently signed an agreement to prevent unregulated fishing in the high seas area of the Central Arctic Ocean, an agreement that uh, should enter into force fairly soon and is already starting to shape um, how the countries of the region will deal with possible future fisheries there. So all of that sounds pretty impressive. Uh, it certainly has been a lot done in the last 24 years, and particularly in the last 10. But there are quite a few limitations to this regime, and it's not very well coordinated. Um, and as I said, I think we're going to need something more. Um, but maybe at this point, I'll turn the floor over to my colleague, uh, Andrzej Zagorski, to talk about what the uh, challenges uh, we face are and then uh, what would need to be done uh, to overcome those challenges. Andre? Yeah, thank you, David, and uh, hello to everyone. Uh, I will try to be concise. Let me add to what Dave just had said, uh, that uh, the Arctic Council was looking at, at the ways of how to improve the marine management uh, in the region. In 2015, it established a task force on Arctic marine cooperation, which was supposed to develop specific recommendations to that effect. And uh, by presenting its first report in 2017, the task force formulated a number of needs. Among them, it was formulating a need of having a mechanism uh, which would look after the full cycle, uh, which would be required for uh, implementing not simply marine management, but implementing a, a comprehensive ecosystem-based uh, marine management in the Arctic. And that would combine various uh, uh, ingredients uh, important for that kind of work, beginning with scientific research to better understand the ecosystems uh, in, the, in, the in the marine Arctic, uh, observations and monitorings, producing, generating proposals for specific measures which would need to be taken uh, developing recommendations, implementing policy, uh, as well as continuing uh, to monitor how this policy affects uh, the real staff. In 2015, the task force uh, believed uh, and uh, suggested this to the Arctic Council, to the ministers, that for fulfilling these tasks, the Arctic Council would require uh, a new body, a subsidiary body, which would combine those functions. Uh, by presenting its, its second report, 2019, uh, the task force failed to come up with a specific proposal, uh, and there was another idea, um, interim solution to delegate the issue to the senior Arctic officials. So we picked up from, from this, uh, looking at uh, what might be a better mechanism for uh, implementing this full cycle for marine stewardship uh, in the Arctic. This is why the second step is, uh, or what was for us, uh, to look at the major challenging uh, issues for uh, making such a mechanism work. It may be working, it may be established on, uh, under the Arctic Council, it may be established outside the Arctic Council, but the key issue is, uh, or the two key issues are, you need solid uh, scientific research, it's solid scientific research which would help us to understand not simply the ecosystems of the Arctic Ocean, but also to better understand uh, the impact uh, on the ecosystems by various kinds of human activities, and uh, beyond this to uh, provide for appropriate risk analysis, and on the basis of the risk analysis to formulate policy recommendations. So this would be a part for the scientific, for a scientific mechanism to work on the issue, although of course uh, at the same time uh, when policy recommendations are accepted and the policies are implemented, the scientific uh, mechanism would continue monitoring the situation, uh, looking after how effective the measures uh, are and uh, suggesting uh, further solutions to improve uh, the management. Uh, but any scientific body would not be uh, in its own right a management organization or a governance organization. It would require another institution to which it can go and submit policy recommendations and an institution which will be open to receive such recommendations and act upon those recommendations, produce policies. And here the crux of the issue is, and the most difficult uh, point would be to, to uh, 
uh, solve another problem because if you have an institution which looks after the issue, which receives policy recommendations and uh, takes decisions uh, upon them, uh, this should be an institution which uh, would be able to, and which, which would have the, the power to take binding decisions, if not on everyone, but at least on everyone who is relevant for a specific, a specific uh, I will then give an example how, of how it can work. So binding decisions for all, all relevant actors in the field. And uh, here you have two basic approaches how you can go. You can either have uh, a regional institution which has limited membership, like the Arctic Council. Uh, such an institution cannot bind non-members of the Arctic Council. Uh, and uh, uh, the way would be to operate for the, for the institution uh, through other broader international organizations. I will give you one example. Uh, about 10 years ago, or more than 10 years ago, uh, the Arctic states had discussed uh, the issue of the need for a mandatory polar code, which would uh, establish environmental and safety standards for ships operating in ice-covered uh, waters. This was discussed within the Arctic Council as well. There was uh, a report by one of the working groups of the Arctic Council. Uh, and then the question was, uh, after those considerations was brought before the International Maritime Organization because the IMO uh, has the power to take binding decisions. And at the end, we had the Polar Code uh, adopted in 2015 and uh, its provisions were made mandatory uh, through amending uh, uh, two of the key uh, conventions, uh, the SOLOS, which is the safety of life uh, on the sea, and the MARPO, which looks after the environmental standards. So one way to go would be even even uh, having a cohesive regional organization with limited membership uh, by generating uh, a clear policy recommendation, you go to relevant sectoral institutions uh, to, to promote these solutions and making them binding uh, on all, uh, all uh, relevant issues. The second way to go uh, is to establish uh, an organization or institution uh, with uh, uh, the widest possible membership, so getting everyone in into that institution. And if you find common language uh, among many, many states participating here, uh, you may uh, come up with, a, with an agreement which will be binding on all members of this broad institution. Uh, uh, we have looked, and in a previous study with Andrei Todorov, we have uh, looked at the experiences, both of uh, regional institutions working in the way I did just described, as well as looking at the almost universal institutions like those operating in the Antarctic. Our point was at the end of the day that uh, uh, building up on regional institution and working, establishing a working relationship between a regional institution and uh, a broader uh, institution which can take binding decisions would be the appropriate way to go in the Arctic. So the question would be uh, uh, how, we can, how we can empower the Arctic Council to work in this way. It already did it to some extent, although it was it were individual member states of the Council which uh, submitted the proposals uh, to the IMO. Uh, and uh, the key issue uh, here would be, of course, uh, the, I think the weakest point here is how to organize properly the whole planning and implementation of the scientific research uh, in order to focus it in a comprehensive way uh, on issues of ecosystem-based uh, management, marine management in the Arctic. I can give you one example. We have an experience on working on a uh, and planning for ecosystem-based management in the uh, Russian part of the Bering Sea, uh, of, of, of the Barents Sea, I'm sorry, uh, to make it compatible with the Norwegian plan for ecosystem-based management, uh, thus doing it for the whole of the Barents Sea. It took a group of institutions which were involved in cooperation with the Norwegian partners five years to have a profound and very, very solid scientific work to look at the ecosystems and uh, to look at the uh, risk uh, assessments and the various impacts of uh, different uh, kinds of uh, human activities in that area uh, uh, and submitting a proposal to the Russian government, which is still hanging uh, in special planning uh, process. So it takes it, it, it should be a comprehensive plan. And uh, 
the knowledge of particularly the Central Arctic Ocean is much uh, less sufficient as if compared to the uh, Barents uh, Sea, and we don't have any single uh, any single uh, scientific institutions which does uh, the, the, this work within this scope. There are many who are doing very great job in various fields, but there is no one institution, which a scientific institution, which uh, addresses the uh, the issue in the way uh, which is required for providing a solid uh, science-based approach uh, to the to the ecosystem management in the Arctic. If we can fix this issue, uh, I think we would be able to deal with the institutional uh, aspects as well, because here the, we do already have some experience, and some other uh, regional organizations do have uh, a fairly positive, fairly workable experience in addressing similar issues in other parts of the of the global ocean. And based on this, we began discussing with Dave uh, various options of how to proceed with this. Uh, with, with these two components, how could the scientific research organize to the effect, and how can we plug in that? Where would we plug in the results of the scientific research into the decision-making process uh, to provide for science-based decisions by uh, an institution or institutions uh, to pursue ecosystem-based uh, marine management in the Arctic? And with this, I turn back to Dave uh, to uh, concentrate on the proposals. And on the options, Dave. Andre, Andre, Dave. This is Mike. I'm sorry to interrupt. I would just like to take this moment to remind those listeners online that if you would like to ask a question, if you enter star one into your phone, that will put you in a queue with the operator, and in in order. I will uh, open the lines after Dave is done and Andre is done with their presentation and start calling upon the participants to ask questions. Dave, my apologies for interrupting. Please go ahead. Of course. Thanks very much, Mike. Um, so Andre and I issued this uh, analysis, this paper, uh, at a particularly challenging time in, um, in relations within the Arctic and among the Arctic states. Uh, it's no secret that there's uh, more geopolitical tension these days than there was uh, just a few years ago when the Arctic Council last met at the ministerial level about a year ago in Finland. It could not, for the first time in its history, even agree on a, a ministerial declaration of the kind that the Arctic Council had always been able to adopt before. And there is a, a narrative out there about a great power competition seeping into the Arctic and um, affecting the way in which uh, Arctic states relate to one another. Um, and so uh, we're cognizant of that. Um, and it's possible that at least for the next few years, um, there may, it may only be possible to take certain incre um, incremental steps uh, to improve uh, marine management in the Arctic. And so we actually do lay out a few steps that we think could be taken even now uh, during this challenging time, perhaps even as sort of confidence-building measures uh, as we move forward, hopefully, to a return to what the Arctic has traditionally been, at least since the end of the Cold War, namely a part of the world in which there is uh, a significant amount of cooperation among Arctic states, including uh, between the United States and Russia. So in the short term, um, one thing that the Arctic Council has already said it will do, and we hope it will be usefully, is to create some type of new mechanism led by the senior Arctic officials uh, to, to heighten awareness of and to actually take certain decisions relating to the problems of um, human activities in the Arctic Ocean. Uh, we, we hope this so-called SAO-based mechanism turns into something useful. Uh, the Arctic Council, as Andre said, has already embraced the concept of ecosystem-based management in principle and has taken a number of steps to begin implementing that uh, kind of voluntary basis and kind of ad hoc basis. We think there is more that could be done there as well. There is exercise currently underway between a part of the Arctic Council and two marine science organizations, one for the North Atlantic and one for the North Pacific, so-called ICES and Pisces, trying to develop 
um, a more comprehensive ecosystem assessment for the Central Arctic Ocean. We think that needs to be brought to fruition. It's been going on for quite some time. And the Arctic Council can also undertake to strengthen its relationship with other intergovernmental and non-governmental organizations that care about, care about and work about these issues, work on these issues. Um, but what Andre is really talking about and what our paper mostly focuses on is uh, something a little bit bolder and for the future, perhaps at a time when um, um, the nations concerned are ready to embrace some new architectural vision for the Arctic Ocean. And as Andre has already kind of hinted at, there are two main components we, uh, we advocate. Uh, we do think there needs to be a new marine science organization dedicated solely to the Central Arctic Ocean. Yes, there are some existing scientific institutions that look at this part of the world's ocean, uh, but it's not their main focus. And even within the Arctic Council, um, there is not the sort of capacity and uh, legal personality, dedicated funding, um, and general reach uh, to do this kind of work uh, effectively. We think there needs to be something new created based on some kind of international agreement, a treaty, creating a marine science body. As Andre hinted at, perhaps it could be created within the Arctic Council family, or it could take a part of the Arctic Council um, structure that currently exists and transform it in some way into the type of body we are advocating. Another option would be to uh, create this new marine science body outside the Arctic Council process based on its own treaty and funding and membership issues. And of course, it would have a relationship with the uh, Arctic Council, but it would be independent of it. And the third possibility is maybe some other institution that already exists but doesn't yet work in this way, does, is not a marine science organization for the Central Arctic Ocean, could be turned into one. Um, we, we offer that possibility as well. But one way or another, we think that sometime, perhaps in five years or so, there ought to be uh, a marine science body for the Central Arctic Ocean to conduct the science of this least understood part of the world's ocean to develop policy recommendations for states to take on board either individually or collectively. Um, we, need, we need this type of function. It's not being performed, or at least not being performed well and comprehensively today. Um, and then the second major proposal we have for the long run, and Andre sort of hinted at this as well, is to create a new marine management body that would receive from the science organization the science-based recommendations uh, for action and would debate them and uh, develop actual measures uh, that the states could implement in the Central Arctic Ocean. Um, again, this type of body could be built within the Arctic Council framework or it could take a part of the Arctic Council system and transform it into this type of body, or it could be done outside the Arctic Council as well. And there are pros and cons to each approach, and our, our paper sort of discusses uh, the, the pros and cons. Um, one thing we do suggest uh, very strongly is that uh, Arctic indigenous people that are represented within the Arctic Council process uh, must be represented in some meaningful way inside these types of bodies as well, the new marine science organization that we recommend and the new marine management organization uh, we recommend. There are difficult questions uh, about the precise geographic scope of such a body. And related to that, uh, who exactly would be members of this new marine management body? Would it just be the Arctic states? Um, or would it be other states that have demonstrated some um, uh, keen or real interest in this area. Uh, and again, there are pros and cons doing it one way or another. But ultimately, I think Andre was getting at this as well, we're looking to create a system where uh, science-based measures using the ecosystem-based management approach 
would be developed, presented to some group of states um, for a decision. The decisions would then become binding in one way or another on all of the relevant actors. Uh, this is not an easy thing to accomplish, but it is something that has been accomplished for other marine areas of the, of the planet. And we think that with the, with the opening of the Arctic Ocean, largely because of climate change and the increasing human activity that um, is already starting to unfold there and will certainly accelerate in the future, we will need this sort of system in place if we are to uh, manage this uh, type of activity well into the future. And with that, Mike, um, Alessandra has something to add. I think we have uh, together sort of summarized uh, the, uh, the paper that we've put out, the report, and at least uh, as far as I'm concerned, we'd be happy to take any questions people may have. Uh, but maybe Andre uh, should ask whether you have anything to add or correct <laughs> to what I, I might have just said. Thank you very much. I'm fine. I think we need to leave more time for eventual questions and answers. Okay. Well, this is Mike. I want to thank uh, Dave and Andre for that tour de force in a very small period of time covering a very uh, big and complex issue, but allowing us to get right to the meat of the report, the analysis, and the recommendations. Um, I have a question, and then uh, in order, I have received some other questions. In order, I'll take the first one or two. It'll be Dr. Lawson Brigham and Dr. Paul Berkman, and we'll work from there. But my first question is, uh, both of you have worked in this arena for a very long time. Uh, Dave, certainly your experience is chairing the senior Arctic Ocean, uh, senior Arctic officials um, during the U.S. chairmanship. Particularly, want to focus on on that concept from both of your perspectives. And this is the question: With the transition of the Arctic Council's chairmanship from Iceland, which has had a focus on the oceans uh, in some areas to the Russian Federation here in about a year, <clears throat> I'm wondering if something like this would be of interest as that agenda begins to take shape, is taking shape. I wonder if this is an area that, in your, from your perspective, from your insights, that the Russian Federation might entertain to advance within the Arctic Council discussion when they take over the chairmanship here in just a few months. Um. Well, maybe uh, I'll start, but I bet Andre might actually have uh, an even better sense of an answer to that question. Um, I, the, the, the recommendations that Andre and I have laid out will probably take quite some time to uh, unfold and to be considered carefully, probably longer than even a single two-year Arctic Council chairmanship. Nevertheless, some aspects of it uh, could be put into place both in the final year of the current Icelandic chairmanship and, more importantly, during the current Russian chairmanship. Um, Russia, of course, has uh, the lar longest coastline in the Arctic Ocean and um, uh, has the greatest presence in the Arctic Ocean, has a long history of uh, conducting science in the Arctic Ocean. And my sense is that um, uh, as Russia considers uh, its uh, the program for its chairmanship, uh, the Arctic Council, that marine issues will largely figure uh, among the many issues that uh, Russia wants to highlight. And I suspect that some of the um, suggestions that Andre and I have made, particularly for the short to medium term, uh, could be implemented uh, during the Russian chairmanship, and they could um, sort of lead the process and, and, um, and, and help us uh, achieve the vision that we, are, we have put forward. Andre, what do you think? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm sure that uh, the Arctic marine management issue or issues will remain on the agenda and among the priorities of the Russian chairmanship, although this is yet in the process of being uh, discussed and being exchanged. But every chairmanship taking over, and you, Dave, know this better than anyone, uh, gets a lot of leftovers from the previous chairmanship. And this yes. is definitely one of the issues one of the issues uh, which would remain on the agenda. Secondly, uh, I'm uh, not sure that the Russian government has so far uh, a comprehensive vision for the kind of mechanism which would be required. So the various kinds of studies, including this one, 
uh, are supposed to help the Russian government to make make its mind in a comprehensive way. Uh, but definitely the governments uh, looking at their agenda for the chairmanship primarily focus on specific proposals uh, and uh, pick, pick up to pursue them. And uh, at least we, we do uh, our best to promote these ideas uh, in Russia as well. Uh, my point would be, however, that uh, uh, Russia would be uh, keen to promote ideas which could get consensus in the Arctic Council. And uh, I'm not quite sure that uh, uh, this idea, this idea uh, is uh, uh, really gaining consensus uh, these days. But we will see more next year when, when we will know the results of the elections uh, in the U.S. And uh, this would be several months ahead of the uh, Russians taking, taking over. Uh, so the chance is there, but uh, uh, the Arctic Council may go through some difficult times uh, and the blocking, blocking progress on this issue. So the, the, first, the very first issue is, of course, uh, whether or not we get a, a meaningful uh, senior Arctic officials-based mechanism to take this work further. So that will be my point. Thank you both very much for that insight. It's very much appreciated and helpful. Uh, let me uh, open the lines and now ask Dr. Lawson Brigham, who is a, C a global fellow at the Polar Institute, uh, as well, to uh, ask his question. Lawson, are you on? Yes, on, on the line. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, very good. Yeah, good, uh, good morning, uh, everyone. Uh, thanks, Dave and uh, Andre, for the excellent paper. My, my question really relates to the role of uh, marine infrastructure in, in this concept. Uh, in order to have safety, environmental protection, and manage the Arctic Ocean, uh, you, you can have all kinds of regulations, et cetera, but without any marine infrastructure uh, beyond uh, scientific research infrastructure. How, how do you both see uh, marine infrastructure fitting into this management scheme? Complicated question, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure where to start with that. Um, so this is Dave. Uh, uh, thank you, Lawson, uh, and hello to you. Um, certainly you're right to point out that in many places uh, in the Arctic, the Arctic Ocean, uh, the types of infrastructure necessary for um, certain types of management actions are in, inadequate or, or even totally lacking. Um, and that in order to achieve um, the type of vision that Andre and I are, have set forward, there would need to be uh, develop considerably greater uh, infrastructure of various kinds, uh, both um, shore-based utilities, uh, better um, um, communications uh, capabilities in the Arctic, uh, any number of things that currently um, don't exist or don't exist in an adequate way. Um, but I'm also thinking that um, some of that may come along on its own as human activities increase in the Arctic, governments will start, uh, because they're forced to, um, improving the infrastructure. Uh, in, my hope would be in parallel with improving the management schemes that, uh, that currently exist. Andre, do you have a different perspective on this? Uh, not different, but just uh, to add a few words. But first of all, Lawson, hi. Uh, thank you very much for your question. Uh, I think the first response would be uh, fairly simple. Uh, in our study, we focused primarily on the management governance uh, aspects of the issue, and uh, we did not spend much time in discussing infrastructure on this. Uh, I fully agree with you, but uh, we, there are many missing blocks uh, which are not uh, exactly addressed in our report uh, because we uh, would have to boost significantly scientific operation in the Arctic. But not only this, we need uh, a much more robust mechanism for exchanging information, which is coming from different uh, agencies in the Arctic Council. We need to exchange information on what's going on. We need to operate, cooperate much closer on domain awareness issues. Uh, this is something which could be done by the uh, Arctic Coast Guard Forum or improved by the, by the forum. But, of course, it will take many other things. Uh, in terms of, uh, well, infrastructure, can be dealt in different ways. Uh, when we uh, have a better idea about how we can organize uh, the scientific research, of course, the instruction would be part of the uh, deliberations. Thank you. 
Thank you both. Uh, next question from our colleague, uh, Paul Berkman from Tufts University. Paul, are you on? I'm on. Good morning. Um, hi, Dave. Hi, Andre, Mike, and Lawson. Um, congratulations to the Wilson Center and REAC for convening this dialogue. Um, certainly, the United States and Russia are two essential collaborators in this, in this discussion. Um, my question is related to Lawson's initially, but then I have a separate one. Um, the focus on the presentation was on policy recommendations. And so Lawson's question, I think, is, is spot on. Um, the science that is developed, the, the, the questions, the methodologies, the, the data that's generated from the, from the questions um, is relevant to decision-making that includes the policies and the governance mechanisms, but not limited. It also it's also relevant to the decision-making associated with the built infrastructure. So perhaps in, 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 in thinking about the types of recommendations that could come out of such a scientific activity or mechanism, um, it would be helpful to think about who the decision makers are. And it's not just governance mechanisms, they're also built infrastructure that will benefit from the same science. And so my question, not lessons, but resonating fully with Lawson's question and recognizing that the built infrastructure and the governance mechanisms together, coupled, will achieve progress with sustainable development, not just one or the other. Both are required together. My question is the role and responsibilities of the Arctic Science Agreement. I've heard lots of comments about, about science, um, and I heard Dave mention the, the three binding agreements that have emerged um, under the auspices of the Arctic Council. But if you're talking about science in the Arctic and mechanisms that currently exist, uh, recognizing challenges that were introduced in 2019, what are the roles and responsibilities that you see of the Arctic Science Agreement in relation to the other agreements that were mentioned? Um, well, again, I could try to start, and Andre may have uh, something to add. Thanks very much, Paul, and hello to you. Um, so, right, the Arc there, there was an agreement signed among the Arctic states uh, in 2017 on enhancing uh, international scientific cooperation in the Arctic. It was a great achievement. In fact, it was a, um, a process in the Arctic Council uh, or through the Arctic Council that was co-led by the United States and Russia, something that um, uh, sort of warms my heart in that way. Um, that agreement was not about um, building a new science body. It was about facilitating the exchange of information about science being done in the Arctic, and in particular, allowing a freer flow of actual scientists, human beings, uh, that are crossing international boundaries in the Arctic along with their um, equipment, uh, materiel, and particularly their data. Um, there are some existing limitations uh, in the ability of science, scientists uh, to, to act in different parts of, of the Arctic, and the agreement is intended largely to um, remove those barriers to allow for a freer flow of scientific activity. And that is great. And I certainly hope it will be implemented uh, well as, as we move forward. But it doesn't create uh, what Andre and I are, are urging. It doesn't create a new international science organization that would actually have independent authority and funding and expertise to do more science, particularly related to the Central Arctic Ocean. Um, and so... Uh, the, the the body, the science body that we are advocating um, would would exist in parallel. It would complement the science agreement from 2017, but it would actually have a, a different focus, a different mandate, uh, and a different a different purpose. Uh, Andre, any thoughts from you? Uh, just a few words, concurring with what you have said. Uh, the Arctic Science Agreement, uh, it was not uh, concentrated on developing any, uh, any comprehensive work looking at the ecosystems and looking at the 
uh, risk assessment. It was simply facilitate, supposed to facilitate uh, exchange and research to be done by the Arctic uh, Council science groups. Uh, in, in other words, it has a different purpose. Uh, it may provide uh, some impetus or some uh, some uh, work uh, into the broader uh, uh, research to be done, but uh, it's a different different task. Thank you. Thank you both for that. The next question up is from Jack Dibb at the University of New Hampshire. Jack, are you on the line? I hope so. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, you're on. You're, we can hear you. Right. Well, I, I was afraid that Paul was going to ask this question, but I would have asked something like what he did if he hadn't, but uh, if I was if I was right. But I was interested in your report about sort of a, a little bit of ambiguity about what ought to be considered the Central Arctic Ocean for both of these bodies that you are arguing persuasively are needed, the uh, science board and also the management body. And certainly you have a map in your report that shows, you know, the high seas that are outside of national jurisdiction, and that's what I thought Paul was going to come in on. But clearly the ecosystems don't respect any of these weird lines drawn on the surface of the planet. So I'm wondering where you think these new bodies should have jurisdiction and whether going big is going to make it harder to actually make progress compared to looking just at the high seas as a starting point. Well, that's a great question and one that Andrew and I have been grappling with for some time and not just in the context of um, producing this particular paper. Um, those of you who uh, have access to our paper or could look at it later will see the map uh, that Dr. Gibb is um, pointing to. It's on, I believe, on page 11, 13, 13 of our paper. Um, it shows that in the Central Arctic Ocean, there are areas under national jurisdiction, at least in the water columns, uh, within 200 miles of the coast of uh, Russia, the United States, Canada, uh, Denmark because of Greenland and Norway. And in the middle of that, beyond 200 miles, is the high seas area, um, uh, which is not a small body of water even on its own. It's about 1.8 million square kilometers, roughly the size of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, if a new marine science body focused solely on the high seas area, I don't see how it could develop um, science and scientific recommendations properly. As, as you mentioned, the uh, marine organisms and other elements of the marine ecosystems in this area don't respect the 200-mile line. Um, somehow, to do science properly, there must be an ability to take into account both areas within and beyond national jurisdiction. So while it might make matters a little more difficult, in other respects, I think the better approach for at least the science body is to take the ecosystem-based approach and look both at the areas within and beyond national jurisdiction in the Central Arctic Ocean. A harder question even comes up with respect to the management body. And here, because there are different legal regimes that relate to areas within and beyond national jurisdiction, complicated questions come up about who should be a member of the management body um, and whether the body would have the ability to adopt measures binding on the coastal states for things that they must do in areas under their national jurisdiction. Um, the coastal states are not likely to react very well to the notion that other states would have some say in management measures that they would take within their jurisdiction. And yet, these types of problems are not unique to the Arctic. They have and, uh, come up in other areas of the world in a number of different contexts, and there have been solutions that have been found uh, to this conundrum. And my, su my suspicion is that with uh, some political will and creativity, uh, the states involved in the Central Arctic Ocean could find the workable solution there as well. I don't know what that solution is yet. We offer in our paper some options, and. Uh, difficulties and pros and cons, uh, but ultimately it would be up to the state's concern to figure out what is politically possible in that regard. Okay. 
the jurisdictional issue is uh, one of the challenges we have addressed. Uh, I think it is, uh, and this is an issue, because if we want to apply ecosystem-based approach, we follow the boundaries of the large marine ecosystems in the ocean, and they, uh, the boundaries don't coincide with the jurisdiction of our country. This is uh, one issue which uh, signals clearly that uh, coastal states need to be involved and need to, need, need to be uh, uh, in consent with the suggested approaches. And you may think of various kinds of uh, the processes to make specific recommendation, recommendations work. I will give you one example. If uh, we have a science-based recommendation that uh, we need a particular sensitive area to be established, uh, and the boundaries of that area would cross the jurisdictional lines, include uh, ecosystem uh, areas uh, which uh, which go beyond, uh, which part, part, are partly within the jurisdiction of a coastal state and go beyond. Of course, such a recommendation would require consent of the coastal state, uh, and the consent of the coastal state, based on the science, scientific evidence, uh, would be most helpful to pursue the issue in the IMO, which is in charge of declaring um, particularly sensitive areas. So we need to we need to find solutions. Uh, uh, in every specific case, there will be different space cases. Uh, two issues flow from this. We don't we don't stop uh, at the boundaries of national jurisdictions. We stop. We look at the boundaries of ecosystems. And uh, second uh, issue, which is key, uh, the coastal states need to be involved fully in this process. Thank you for those answers. Uh, next in the queue is our friend and colleague, Ambassador Ken Yellowitz. Ken, the floor is yours. Ken, are you on? Perhaps we love, we've lost Ken. Hello. Oh, hi, Ambassador. You're next. Am please. I on now? You are. Oh, thanks very much, Mike. And thanks to uh, David and Andre, a fascinating idea, uh, and thanks for your forward-looking uh, ideas. Um, I also thought the questions were very good, and I wanted to go back to something that uh, David had mentioned. The third sort of positive area that you mentioned was the fishing agreement uh, that you had such a key role in. And I was wondering um, whether, uh, given the difficulties that we're now facing the geopolitical that you talked about, are there other possible areas uh, of a more sort of a technical nature uh, that we could look to to do something analogous to what was done on the fishing agreement? And what I'm thinking about here is something that uh, our good friend Lawson's always uh, told me about, and that is the dearth of you know, of adequate mapping, you know, of the Arctic Ocean, the maritime mapping. And is this a possibility that we could all agree upon uh, to take on under the Arctic Council as, again, a way of, of stepping forward and filling this gap for the next few years until, you know, we could uh, try to work on the ideas that Dave and Andre are uh, putting forth? Uh, hi, Ken, and thanks very much for your question. This is Dave. Um, short answer is yes. Uh, there are any number of things that um, that could be done, even in the current geopolitical climate uh, in which we live. Uh, the, the states of the Arctic, including the United States and Russia, continue to have uh, a range of common interests uh, in the Arctic region, um, and face common problems that uh, they um, could work on together. In our paper, we actually suggest a range of things, uh, more of a, a procedural nature that could be done in the next few years within the Arctic Council to strengthen its management of um, human activities in the marine space generally. But it's also possible to do something like you're suggesting, to take up a particular concrete project, let's say mapping of the, uh, the Arctic Ocean uh, and char charting of the Arctic Ocean to facilitate increased shipping there 
or other measures relating to shipping that could be taken up uh, within the Arctic Council process or discussed within the Arctic Council process and brought to the International Maritime Organization for consideration and adoption. Andre was talking about how the Polar Code was done uh, in this way in part. Uh, so, yes, the short answer to your question, I think, is such a thing would be possible. Indeed, it would be in the interest of the United States, Russia, and the Arctic states to find things to do together, even in this difficult time. Uh, if I may add a few words, uh, and uh, Heike, I'm very good to hear you. Uh, well, mapping and a lot of stuff uh, could be good areas. As far as uh, as far as this particular issue is concerned, uh, the International Hydrographic Organization has a special group which focuses on hydrographic work uh, in the Arctic. Uh, when I was looking at the reports uh, of this group, the status of hydrographic work in the Arctic is extremely poor. There are so many gaps. So working together could be, could be a good idea, particularly in the Central Arctic Ocean, uh, but I think we are so far uh, very, very far away from uh, getting a proper job on this because we even haven't uh, provided uh, sufficient hydrographic research uh, for, the, for the waters or marine areas within the jurisdiction of the coastal states. Uh, but again, again, this is a good and important work, as many others, uh, which need to be expanded. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ken, Dave, um, and Andre. Uh, we've got about four minutes left, uh, a long list of, of people who would like to ask some questions. Uh, so we're going we're to take another one and try to make it short and then do a wrap-up. The next question goes to Andreas Lorette. Andreas, are you online? Yes, yes I am. Yeah, hi. Uh, I just want to thank again the Wilson Center and uh, Ambassador Bolton and Dr. Zagoski for their time. And I was just wondering, given that this is a time of let's say, heightened geopolitical tension between the United States and Russia that are, again, key players in this Arctic issue, as, as we've mentioned, um, is there a sense that with the new scientific sort of marine science body that uh, you guys advocate for its creation, is there any sense that there could the, the, the sort of independent and the scientific sort of knowledge and analysis produced could be leveraged for political gain by any of those two countries or others? And could that hinder um, sort of the international community's goals in, man, in the field of uh, marine management of the Arctic? Um, and how, basically, how politically insulated would that body be for it to be created? Thank you. Boy, it's a hard question to answer in a brief period. Um, but maybe what I'll say is, uh, if it is, if, if a marine science body for the Central Arctic Ocean were created the way other such bodies have been created for other marine areas, it would be largely independent have a act in a transparent way and have to be collaborative in nature. Uh, I don't think, um, I think it would be necessary to assure the, the members that uh, the science being done there is not supposed to be done for political purposes, but rather to advance ecosystem-based management by the science, to, by generating the science in that. Anyway, there's a lot more that could be said about that but given the time constraints, I'll stop there and see if Andre wants to add anything. Uh, just one word. Uh, I think this is exactly the reason why uh, a scientific body should be kept separate from uh, a political body. Uh, just yeah, not for the politics to interfere with science, but at the same time, the scientific uh, mechanism should be plugged in with the, with the decision-making body in order to uh, make the to, to provide for a proper way for the recommendations to flow into politics. It's tricky. Of course, politics uh, interfere in many ways, uh, but uh, I think this, this will be workable. Thank you, uh, Thank Andre you. And, and David, for those last comments. Uh, we've got about a minute and a half left. I, I want to thank everyone who is waiting online to ask questions. I think both of the of our colleagues here would, would welcome some email questions uh, on their report. So don't feel as if we, we've ignored the rest of you online. We just simply have run out of time. Uh, 
but I, I'm sure that they would be open to receiving questions uh, via email or engage with you via email. Uh, let me thank, again, uh, REACT for their support and, and their, their partnership. Ivan, if you're still on the line, do you have any last comments before I do a wrap-up here? Well, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, and I, I like the discussion, and I hope that uh, we will uh, further continue our joint work. Uh, indeed, uh, the uh, epidemiological situation uh, has limited our uh, work. However, these distant formats uh, prove to be quite effective uh, to exchange our opinions, and I'm sure we will be able to implement it after the uh, situation uh, would be normalized. And, of course, I hope that uh, we would have an opportunity to run a joint uh, conference or event face-to-face -to, -face to further discuss these issues. Thank you. We, we, sh we share that vision with you. Uh, I want to thank, once again, uh, WWF for their leadership and their support in making this uh, uh, analysis uh, possible. Thank you, Andre and David, for your insights and moving forward with a vision for the future for a place that is important, obviously, to all of us, but has a global importance. So thank you both for doing that. Uh, I want to thank everyone who participated online. I thank our Wilson Center colleagues. And uh, I do believe that what we have here is a very good foundation for continued work, not just between the two organizations, but on the very model and models that could grow from uh, this analysis and this vision. So I want to thank you all for participating today. Another very good ground truth briefing from the Wilson Center, and we will look forward to the next one, uh, hopefully focused on the Arctic Ocean as well. Thank you all for participating, and have a good rest of the morning, afternoon, or evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude today's conference. We appreciate you attending. You may disconnect at this time.